Hey, and welcome to the Vineyard Church Cardiff podcast. Wherever you are listening, it is great to have you with us. Today, James Rankin, our senior pastor, is continuing our Advancing the Kingdom series, uh, looking at how we, as we learn to live like Jesus, uh, can partner with him and bring about his kingdom on earth today. So, wherever you are, we hope you enjoy it. So, I've had a good week. You will be pleased to know I've had a good week. Um, that's just just for your enjoyment, really. But Jen and I managed to get away for a few days to Fowderbrennan out in West Wales. And it's a Christian retreat centre, really completely in the middle of nowhere, near Newport. But you, you start driving, you're like, wow, where am I going? And it was funny because we reached this point where we got to the driveway and I'd been there before and I knew that it was pretty steep and Jen looked at it and we were in 60 mile an hour winds at the time. It wasn't, you know, the kind of place where you're like, oh, it's going to be beautiful. And it, and it was beautiful behind 60 mile an hour winds. And Jen looked at me, she's like, do you think the car's going to get up there? And I was like, I've, I've got faith in this little beauty, this little Picasso, it'll be absolutely fine. And, but Felder Brennan has a remarkable story and... Uh, it's a place of God's presence. You know when you're praying in a place where it feels like the walls are saturated with prayer. And right, right near where we were staying, there was a little chapel that you could just go to, just light a few candles and just spend time there with the Lord. And Roy and Daphne Godwin, they moved there, well, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. But there's a, there's a beautiful book, and I've mentioned it before, but it's so beautiful that I even noticed it was in the pile of books the amazing pile of books, and it's called The Grace Outpouring. And it tells the story of this Christian retreat center and how God just starts to do remarkable things in this place in the middle of West Wales, where there are far more sheep than there are people. And there are a lot of sheep. We drove past them and we're like, wow, I've never seen so many sheep. But God just starts moving in power. And uh, Roy has this moment because he moves to this retreat center and he's an evangelist by nature. That's what he loves doing. He loves telling people about Jesus. And he was talking with somebody b- before he went. He was like, why are you moving there? You know, this seems like a strange thing. You, you love talking to people about Jesus. And Roy was like, no, Roy and Daphne, the Lord has spoken. We're to move. Anyway, they've been there for a couple of weeks and Roy starts doubting himself. He's like, what was I thinking? I'm not sure this was such a good idea. And he says this, in those nervous early weeks in a new role, encountering a different version of how things were, latent doubt surfaced. And I was asking, Lord, why are we here? And I sensed two responses. I sensed God speaking to me and saying, it's because you come here in weakness and cannot minister or move out of your usual experience that I want you here. You have nothing to give, so you have to be abandoned to me. And the fact that your eyes are open so that you're able to discern what's going on spiritually means that you can see what the evil one is doing and you can deal with it. That's really important what Roy says here, because today I wanted to talk about kingdom confrontation. As we're continuing in in our series, Advancing the Kingdom, I want to talk about the confrontation of the kingdom of God and Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And two weeks ago, we heard from Jordan Seng about developing a culture of try. Uh, which was really just beginning to step out. It's like, yes, we're going to fail. Yes, we won't always do things right. But actually part of it is just we, we step out, we try things in the kingdom. And then Paul Lowe spoke last week. Paul uh, crucially interviewed him. Just a brilliant, brilliant interview about sharing our faith. And I don't know about you, but I saw Paul and just the stories coming out. I was like, I feel so, so inspired. And today I want to continue in this 
series advancing the kingdom and really just reflect on what does kingdom confrontation look like and how can we move in a greater degree of power so often we think that it's our amazingness that god wants it's like when i've got it sorted when i'm amazing and the truth is we will be waiting our whole life to reach that point god doesn't want our amazingness he requires our weakness and it's in his power that he asks us to move. And I find that just so liberating. I'm like, oh, I don't have to have it all together. All I have to do is follow the promptings of the spirit. And Roy goes on to add, as he's talking about this, he says, I was helpless and experiencing a tremendous sense of weakness that I'd never known in my life before. Nevertheless, I kept wrestling with God. I cried out and said, Lord, I have to build a vision here. I'm here, I've got to stay here, but I don't know where to start. So Lord, what is your vision for Felder Brennan? And God's response sounded with the clarity of a bell, become a house of prayer, become a house of prayer. And Roy just talks about this journey of, oh, it's one thing to create a house of prayer. It's another thing to be a house of prayer yourself. And you've got to start with yourself. And, and as Roy and Daphne went on this journey, God just started miraculously bringing people into the middle, to this center from the middle of nowhere. Uh, one of the stories says, hello, I, d I hope you don't mind us calling like this, but I wonder if you could tell us what this place is. I mean, this place is so remote to get there. I Miraculous. We sat them down at our table where we had just finished lunch and the reason for their track up our long and steep drive unfolded, which I talked about earlier. Well, we were driving along here and we don't quite understand it, but we were compelled to come up your drive. They'd noted that it was a Christian retreat center, but that meant little to them. We made them a cup of tea, always a good place to start, and then talked in general terms about the center for a while before finally explaining to them that this is a place where lives get changed because God is real. They liked the idea of being shown around, so we guided them through the garden with its special rockery, very nice, swiftly flowing stream and a beautiful view of the valley and surrounding hills. We took them in the stone corridors, of the main retreat center, walked around the grounds and came back to the final room, which happened to be the chapel. There they seemed to sense something of the presence of God. Although they might not have been able to articulate what was happening to them, they sat down rather speedily, rather heavily, heavily as though their legs had gone a little bit weak. I immediately created a new tradition. We have a rule here about how we respond to our visitors. We like to bless them before they leave. May I bless you? And they had no problem with that. So I simply said, I bless you in the name of Jesus to know God, his purpose for your life and his blessings on you and your family and your situations of life, amen and they started to weep. And the sense of the presence of God seemed tangible. I quietly let myself out of the chapel so that they wouldn't be embarrassed by my presence. And it was time to let God do what he wanted to do for that couple. A little later, they came and found me full of gratitude and rather shaken by what was for them the unexpected sense of God's presence. I was able to share a little more of the good news of Jesus before they left. Do you know what, blessing people has incredible power. When we got to the retreat center, there was this lady who showed us around our kind of where we were staying. And she was just like, can I just bless you before I go? We never met this lady before. And so she just spent, you know, two or three minutes just blessing us in the name of Jesus. And I know that for Jen and myself, just this profound, you know, tears came to our eyes. It was this moment of just somebody praying over you and the spirit of God came. So, in my talk today, as we continue in our series advancing the kingdom, I'm talking about the confrontation of the kingdoms, the clash of the kingdoms. And as we learn to, as a church to look, to, to live more like Jesus, to look more and more like him, to be with him and do what he did, 
we come back to this message of the kingdom. It's the central message. It's Jesus's central message. It's his teaching, Mark 1:15, as he kind of starts his ministry. It's like the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Now, coming back to this idea of kingdom confrontation, there is a war going on. There is a war going on between God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness, between the rule and reign of God and the rule and reign of Satan, two kingdoms clashing. And if we're not careful, to, careful, we can get lulled into a false sense of security that we are living in peacetime. We are not. We are categorically not living in peacetime. And I believe that this is one of the greatest challenges to the Western church, to the church here in Wales, to the church in the United Kingdom, is that we think that we're in this peacetime state and we're not. It's not true. The narrative that we would so often hear is, let me just concentrate on me. It's just me and God. I just need a bit of me and God time. We find our purpose in him. We find our uniqueness in the things that he calls us to. And, and the outworking of this every day, if we think that we're living in peacetime, is a very low awareness of the kingdom of God. Do you know what I mean? Like low level awareness, a lack of expectation for the power of God to break in, that God wants to break into situations, that he wants to change things, and a pretty non-existent prayer life. That would also go hand in hand because we're not looking for God's power to break in and therefore a prayer like, well, why, why do we pray? That's what it looks like if we don't live in a kingdom reality and a kingdom mindset. When we begin to realize that we're in a battle, when our eyes are open, we take that moment, we begin to see it's like, oh, wow, can see the darkness going on. It's like, and then suddenly everything comes against it and we're like, God, you've got to break in. God, you've got to change this situation. God, you've got to release that person. God, you've got to save this person. Come in, change this situation. Lord, you've got to heal this person. We need the kingdom to come in power. And the longings, God's longings begin to fill our soul and we begin to be changed. It's like, Lord, I begin to long for the things that you want to see happen. His purposes. The worldview and the culture that we sit in, it distracts us all over the place and it wants to numb us from the reality of this kingdom battle going on. The story of our culture is that there are no kingdoms. <laughs> there's no kingdoms because there's no God and there's no Satan. There's no other side. There is nothing going on. That's the story that we would be told and it hits us again and again. And it's only when we step back and we get into the pages of scripture and we read the story of the kingdom through the Old Testament into the New Testament that we begin to see what's going on. There is a spiritual world. And the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that we're at war, a war where God is victorious, where the lamb wins, where Jesus has defeated death, where the kingdom of God has and will triumph, that it's not here in its fullness, that we live in this in-between times where Jesus has died, he's risen again, he's won the victory. When he rose again, he won victory, but yet we're not in the fullness where we come into the new heaven and the new earth, where the lion's gonna lay down with the lamb, that we live in in-between times where Satan still has power. And we're still in this kingdom battle that's going on. And this kingdom of darkness is still at work. And so I just want to take a moment just to step back to look through some of these passages in scripture, just to show this confrontation, how the devil fits in with this, how Satan, the kingdom of darkness, where does that fit with the kingdom of God? What can we expect? How do we live in this? How do we have a kingdom mindset? So why did, just coming back, why did God enter the world? Why did God become a man? 
Here's, here's what we read in 1 John 3 verse 8. It says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And when uh, God identified Jesus at Jesus's baptism as my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased, he was coming against Satan's rule. And it was inevitable that Satan would counterattack because every time the kingdom goes forward and we see something of God's blessing, of God's favor, as God's light penetrating the darkness, there's a counterattack. This is the principle of the clash of the kingdoms. Attack, counterattack is the principle that you'll see in your own life. Forward movement followed by counterattack. I don't think you can see that. And so Satan counterattacks by tempting Jesus in the wilderness. He leads him out there and then he's through these different moments where he tries to tempt Jesus. So why do we see Jesus do his miracles of healing, his deliverances and his miracles over nature? Certainly, Jesus's healings and miracles were acts of compassion. It was in that, it's so often in the Gospels, it talks about, and Jesus had compassion on them. It was an overflow of compassion. He was showing us the heart of God, absolutely, that he wants to restore people to human flourishing. Certainly, Jesus worked his miracles to bring people into his family, people who'd been excluded. But we don't understand them in a comprehensive way that Jesus was doing healing or doing deliverances unless we see that Jesus was setting up his kingdom over and against Satan's kingdom. Jesus was plundering the house of the strong man. And there's a parable in uh, Matthew 12 verses 28 and 29. It says this, but it, if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions without first tying up the strong man? then his house can be plundered. So just coming back, so why did Jesus die? Well, certainly he died as a sacrifice for our sins to pay our debts. He died in our place as a substitute. He died to propitiate, to satisfy, to appease the wrath of God against sin. But we don't understand the death of Christ, Jesus Christ in a comprehensive way unless we set it against the backdrop of spiritual warfare. Why did Christ die? He died to overthrow the kingdom of Satan, to overcome the darkness. Here's what we read in Colossians 2, 3 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Here's what we read in Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. So what was the resurrection all about? Well, the resurrection means that Jesus is the first of many resurrections that he opened the way for those who are united to him by faith to be resurrected from the dead. But without an understanding of spiritual warfare and what the resurrection meant in terms of a defeat against Satan, you don't have a comprehensive understanding of this part of the Christian story. It's so, so important. Listen how the Apostle Paul explains the resurrection. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But in this order, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, 
those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all of his enemies under his feet. The entire Christian story as told by the Bible assumes that we're living in a world at war. We feel it. We know it kind of in our hearts when we stop. We're like, yes, yeah, I can, I can feel that there's this war going on. But we don't always want to acknowledge it. And we don't always live accordingly. It's like, this is going on over here. But what about you and, and your view of life? How aware of you? How aware are you of the kingdom of God? Because I feel like what God wants to do today is we're coming back to this theme of advancing the kingdom. God just wants to open our eyes. So I want to open your eyes. I want you to be able to see what's going on. He wants to make us aware of his kingdom and his power. He doesn't want us to concentrate on the enemy. This isn't about lifting Satan up in any way. And sometimes it's no, we're putting it down here. It's like it's about the kingdom of God. But we have to be aware that there is another side, that there is an enemy as well. The kingdom of darkness as well. But we want to concentrate on the kingdom of light and the power of God. This is the teaching of the kingdom. We've seen it when I did our series in Ephesians, in Ephesians 6. Just to come back, verse 11 to 13, it just it describes this picture of what's going on so well. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? Against the devil's schemes. For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, because of all of this is going on, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. So we need to be, there needs to be an awareness of the kingdom, but there also needs to be an awareness of his power. There is a danger in talking about the kingdoms that we kind of like, oh, we begin to fear the enemy. But in order to not fear the enemy, we need to be aware of God's power and God's victory. How much do you know of, of God's power in your life? Do you pray in times of weakness, kind of when you've reached the end of yourself? It's like, Lord, I need your power. You might be there today. You're like, I'm just a bit at the end of myself. I'd encourage you, Lord, I need your power. Nothing's too hard for you. It's so important that we understand that his great power lives in us, that our great hope for defeating the enemy named Satan is God's power in you, in us. Look at Ephesians 3 verse 20, verse that I absolutely love. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Paul piles on the superlatives in this. Literally, he's saying to him who is able to do a super abundantly or in the King James, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. He comes, Paul almost comes to the limit of the Greek language. He's like, I, I want to tell you something that's so amazing. I don't quite know how to phrase it. I don't know how to put it. I, I don't know how to describe the power that's at work in you exceedingly abundantly. So as we talk about this power, what does that power look like in our life? I want to spend a moment just looking at kingdom authority. I want to dive into Luke 10, because this is where Jesus sends out the 72. 
And there's some beautiful principles that I just want to pick out that talk about authority and God's power and how to walk in it and the kingdom mindset. So in chapter nine, the preceding chapter, Jesus gets the 12 and he gets the apostles together and he sends them out and he gives them the ability to, to do everything that he does. Everything that he does is preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. And so he gives them the same three things. He gives them the same range of powers. He's like, I want you to go and do the things that I've been doing. Go and do what I've been doing. Now, if you were to have chapter nine without chapter 10, you'd have a really different understanding of the church. Because if you only had chapter nine, what you'd sit there and you'd be like, well, so Jesus sent out the 12. Ah, so what, what there is, there are specially anointed ones, the holy ones, and God is going to send out the holy ones and they are going to do these amazing things on behalf of him. These are the educated ones, the ones that have read everything, that move in signs and wonders, the elite, maybe, the elite 12. That, that would probably be how we read the scriptures. But cha chapter nine is next to chapter 10. And then suddenly it's like, no, no, no. God invites in the 72. He's not just happy with the 12. Jesus is like, I'm commissioning the 72. And when he's commissioning the 72, he's like, I'm commissioning everybody. It's an all in moment. It's not just these. Everybody's commissioned. And they are absolutely shocked. And we see it in this passage because they have exactly the same power that the apostles had and exactly the same power that Jesus had. Chapter 10 says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out um, like lambs amongst wolves. And then to go down to verse eight, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you again. This kingdom message that we keep coming back to, it's the kingdom that God is the king and he rules and reigns and that we get to be a part of his kingdom and that as disciples, we get to partner with him. Apprentices, we get to partner with him. Down to verse 17. I love this bit. The 72 returned with joy. They had this moment, they were like, we actually saw God move and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They weren't expecting it. Jesus sent them out in their twos. And then suddenly they come back, it's like, wow, it works. God's real, it's incredible. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Again, we see this picture of joy. I love that Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one who knows the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. They get to do what you do. So just a just pick out a couple of principles in here. Firstly, a small thing. He sends them out in their twos. And you're like, oh, James, that's so ridiculously obvious. Okay, really obvious. How, how often do we try and do it by ourselves? And we're like, well, I'm going out as a one. And Jesus is like, no, go out in twos. I'm asking you to go out in twos with someone else. Don't try and do it by yourself. Don't get isolated. It's easy to get discouraged. Do it together. And 
And what we're seeing here is Jesus is not just talking about the elite, but he's talking about everybody. The 72 represent us all. And the reason they're so astonished, the disciples, the 72, is that they're just plain old regular followers. They're not the elite. They're not the special 12 in training. They're just your everyday person. And here's the principle. God never calls you in to bless you without sending you out to others. God never calls you in without sending you out. He never blesses you, but that you might be a blessing. I love that phrase, blessed to be a blessing. That's what we're called to be. Think about this financially for a moment. Let's say the Lord abundantly blesses you financially. And he's just like, I'm going to pour in the riches of heaven. So, so what's the ask? Is it, huh, thanks, Lord. I'm just going to take it all. Or are we blessed to be a blessing? The Lord gives. And it's not that we, we don't stop. And I, and I talked about this with the Red Sea and the Dead Sea. It's like, it doesn't stop with us. We're to be a conduit. And that's the same in every area of our lives. Financially, whatever the Lord pours in, whatever the Lord gives us is to be given away. And so as disciples, we, we come before him, we worship him and he pours in his spirit into us. And in that moment, that's not just to stay with us. We're to be an overflow and th that it goes out from us. And so this, this idea of blessing, Roy and Daphne were talking about blessing, that whenever people come, and so actually Roy's written a book about blessing, that when we're thinking about some of this kingdom's try stuff, that we're called to be a blessing. We're called to call the kingdom. We ask God to come in power. We just bless people. We can do that. And we carry the king's authority, just moving on through the passage. I give you authority. And what's that mean? Well, one of the ways that I think about this is by using the word partner. Jesus is making us a partner. To be, you think about a firm, to be a partner of the firm means you're not just sharing in the work, you're sharing in the firm. Do you know what I mean? It's deeper, you're part of it. You want to make a partner? I just don't want to do just the errands. I want to share in this. I want to carry this. And Jesus doesn't just say, do you know what? I give you my jobs. He says, I give you authority. I give you authority to go in my name. Well, when you give somebody authority, you have to give them two things. And if you haven't given them both, you haven't given them, you haven't given them your authority. So for, first of all, you give them the right. And then secondly, you give them the power. So Jesus Christ is coming and saying, I give you the right to go and do exactly what I would be doing if I were here in the body. Go and do what I would be doing. I want you to go and speak. I want you to go and care. I want you to go and serve. I want you to do all of these things. And then I will give you the power for that to come through you. So go and do what I've been doing and I will bring power. And you notice what he says. They come back and they say, it's unbelievable the power that we have in your name. Well, what does that mean in your name? It's not just that demons submit to us. They submit to us in your name. Jesus is saying this to the simplest, humblest Christian. You know, when we feel like we've not got it all together, he, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to all of us. When you sit down and when you involve yourself in the life of somebody else, and when you try and share your faith, or when you try and squeeze the hand of a hurting person, or when you try and feed somebody who's hungry, you're not doing it like anybody else in the world. You're doing it in my name. That means I've sent you to do it and my power will come through that person's life through you. My words will come into your words. My love will come into your love and my power will come into your service. 
all of those things. It's amazing the authority that he gives his disciples. And sometimes I'm like, oh, if only we could grasp how much Jesus gives us and take hold of it. It's like, oh, Lord, you've given us your, it's your power that works through us. And so just as I come in to finish, I just wanted to land on this point of a kingdom mindset. That a kingdom mindset is forged and developed through a dependence on the king. We can't just get on with the things of God without being intimately connected with the Lord. So it comes from that place of receiving from the Lord. We've got to first receive from him. And as we receive from him, as he pours himself in, that's the blessing that comes out. Otherwise, we're just giving of ourselves. And that's really not that amazing. Having tried that a number of times, it's like what I give is not great. But if I go in his name and in his authority and I'm filled with him, I am giving a different kind of fruit. And a mindset takes time. It's a way of looking at the world. I love what Jesus says in verse 23 of chapter 10, just right at the end of this passage that I looked at. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. It's like, you've been so privileged. There is a sensitivity to the spirit. There is a sensitivity to the things of God. There is an awakening of the heart that comes with the kingdom mindset. And it's this desire to bless. So I don't want to keep it for me. I want to bless. I want to advance the kingdom. I want to partner with you. I want to be part of, I, I want to be part of the twos being sent out. I want to be part of the 72. And it begins to shift something in us. It's like kingdom mindset begins to change from it's all about me to it's all about him. As a church, we're in a season of kingdom try. We're stepping into this of doing what Jesus did. We've spent some time where we've been like, we're going to be with Jesus. And as we're filled with Jesus, then suddenly it's like, actually, we're going to step into things that God's asked us to do. There's an amazing um, little text thing that if you sign up for that, and I've been receiving them each day, and it's like just an opportunity today with just praying for your family. You know, is there a way that I can bless somebody in my family today? So, Lord, would you fill each person right now? Would you open their eyes to see what you're calling them to? And would you give them courage to step out, to be part of the 72, to be your disciples in this world, to bless, to bless, to bless and to bless in Jesus name. Amen.